This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 10 for Thursday, September 19th, Jesus the Archegos. Our memory verse, therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16. I don't know if you have noticed this about society or yourself, but we like to do things our own way. We like to figure things out for ourselves, probably, so we can take the credit for having done so when it works. At the same time, when our way doesn't work, we look for someone to blame other than ourselves for why things go wrong. We want all of the credit and none of the blame. I have done a lot of this. I want to be the trailblazer. I want to be the one who carves the path that others follow. Early in my ministry, I wanted to be the pastor who found the way to disciple people so that I could be celebrated as the guy who figured out what no one else could. But all of my attempts failed. They worked in bits and pieces, but eventually they fell apart. It wasn't until I humbled myself and really started learning from others who had been doing what we have been trying to do that I started to figure things out. In fact, this process that we are in right now is the culmination of hundreds of different sources, ideas, and teachers, and thousands of hours of study and research. It is not mine. I could not possibly take the credit for it. All I can claim is putting it together. But... I still try to do plenty of things in life my way. Today's passage brings a pretty difficult warning for our time. We want to do things our own way. We don't like being told what to do. When someone tells us what to do, we rebel. In fact, when you tell yourself to do something, your brain rebels against you. Isn't that crazy? When you tell yourself that you have to do something, your brain fights back and says, don't tell me what to do. Seriously, when you tell yourself you have to exercise, you tend not to do it. Psychologists recommend telling yourself, I get to work out now if I want to, to help overcome this problem. It feels ridiculous, but the point is, we are rebels. And in an age that seems to celebrate independence, joining the resistance, and sticking it to the man, being people who submit to authority is kind of a big problem. The author begins to contrast the message of the gospel with the message of the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, the gospel is greater. He says, Since the message spoken through angels was binding, talking about the Old Covenant, and every violation and disobedience of that covenant received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? In other words, since Jesus is greater than the angels— That's what the therefore reference is in 2.1. We need to be very careful not to drift away from the new order that Jesus has put into place. 
Don't worry, I think the author gives us exactly what we need to be able to submit ourselves to this higher order. Perspective. The problem is, we think too highly of ourselves. Especially at this given moment in history, we humans tend to think we are the be-all, end-all of everything. Especially now that the period of enlightenment has sought to do away with God entirely, what's left besides people? We are at the top of the food chain and everything else is under us. Therefore, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. I am my own God and I will decide for myself. Thank you very much. In 2 verses 6 and 7, the author quotes from a very famous psalm, Psalm 8. He's going to draw two comparisons from this psalm, one for us and one for Jesus. The one for Jesus we will deal with in more detail tomorrow. Let's focus on the comparison for us. In verse 5, the author says, It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come. Then he says, There is a place, someone has said. When the author says that, he is being somewhat ironic and sarcastic. This passage would have been so familiar to the audience that when they heard the first few words, they would have immediately recognized it. Just like you would say in a conversation with someone who has a phrase they use over and over, I think I've heard someone say that before. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? Then in verse 8, the author says, in putting everything under them. Under who? Mankind. God left nothing that isn't subject to mankind. Certainly we see this in Genesis 1 and 2, but there's more. Read on. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, everything is supposed to be subject to God's precious creation, but right now in our present experience, that is not the case. Then the author references Jesus who was temporarily made lower than the angels, but who is now crowned with glory and honor. Therefore, he is once again over the angels. I would propose that we can learn something about ourselves from this understanding of Jesus. Since, according to Paul, we will one day judge the angels, I think we can assume that it is not to the angels, but to mankind God has subjected the world to come. But for right now, that's not the case. For right now, we are a little lower than the angels. Why? As far as I can tell from the text, it has to do with our rebellion. In 1.3, we read, After he had provided purification for our sins. What are our sins? The fruit of our rebellion. Then in 2.3, we learn about this great salvation, greater than the old covenant that was given by angels. This salvation was so great that he sent his son to secure it. God himself announced it, testified to it with signs, wonders, miracles, and consequently gifts of the Spirit in the church. And this new salvation is inescapable. No one will escape this life without having to answer for this salvation. What is this salvation? Following Jesus. Borrowing from tomorrow's text, 2.10, this salvation is in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Does that sound familiar? It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their, our, your, my, salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This salvation is about restoring us to where God originally intended us to be. And that is a position of glory. 
But the only way there is through Jesus, the pioneer. Some translations say author. The Greek word is archegos. It means the chief leader, one that takes the lead in anything and becomes an example, predecessor, pioneer. This term was used both for heroes and divine heroes, or superheroes, in Greek writings. Archegos was used of a hero who founded a city, named it, and became its guardian. It also had military connotations of an army commander who went ahead of the men and blazed the trail for them. He always involved others in his mission and never stood at the back barking orders, but was always out in front. Talk about cool words. Jesus was our human hero who, by his example, cut a path for us out of where we presently exist and into what we were made for. What is our current reality? Rebellion. What were we made for? Worship. Jesus came to blaze a trail for us out of rebellion and into worship. If you find yourself saying, but that's me, I'm a rebel, what am I supposed to do? I would say two things. First, grace. Our memory verse emphasizes this. Drawing near to God isn't just about relationship, it's also where we get grace. God knows we're rebels. He was there in the garden. He's witnessed people throughout all of human history rebelling against him and his ways. He knows our rebellion has led us into all kinds of sinful habits that displease him. This is not a surprise to God. Second, learning to recognize our rebellion is definitely one of the most important things we need to learn in this lifetime. Yes, I am a rebel. But that doesn't make rebellion okay. Rebellion is at the root of every bad thing in our lives. If you dig deep enough, I would argue that behind everything you struggle with is rebellion. But think about this for a second. The whole of humanity are rebels. Every human is a rebel. Every human being has rebelled against God in some way. Many humans continue to willfully rebel against him and shake their fists at God as they do so. So, to rebel against God and his ways is really no rebellion at all. Yes, you're rebelling against God, but you're not blazing any kind of trail in doing so. You're simply doing what every single other person on the planet has already done. There's nothing unique about being a rebel. In fact, standing out as a rebel is about as possible as standing out as a grain of rice in a barrel full of rice. If you want to be a real rebel... If you want to truly do something unique and different, if you want to stand out and be unlike nearly every other person around you on a daily basis, die to yourself. Let God take you out of that barrel of rebel rice and put you into his pot. And yes, you'll have to die to your rebel nature. But if you do, you can start to soak in all that goodness that God has for your life you'll start to soak in the saltiness that we talked about earlier this week. Your life will even start to change colors, and you will look different on the outside. Your life will have a flavor and a uniqueness this world cannot comprehend. But it only comes by following the trail that Jesus has marked out for us. We don't get there on our own. That's what we have to die to. But when we do, there is an entirely new life 
that waits. www.thejesushabit.com